isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I have but a single account for you tonight. When a young child sights a peculiar-looking deer while out on a camping trip with family, life is turned into a nightmare which they simply cannot awake from. It seems some dark entity attached itself to this person, a terrible curse for seemingly no reason. Whatever it was came from Yosemite National Park. This is Camping Horrors, the podcast where real people send me their most terrifying camping and hiking stories, and I narrate them. Enjoy today's story, and be sure to send me your outdoor tales at darkstories.org. If you like what you hear, leave a rating for Camping Horrors on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and check out my other narrations at eeriecast.com. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. Hefe, my own personal demon. From Montana Rose. This is the story of the attachment of an entity I call Hefe. This story spans almost two decades and more than two-thirds of my life. I am what you could call an elder in a young body. I'm 24 years old, but on the tail end of my second divorce, wrapping up years of traumatic events and misfortunes and life lessons in prolific numbers. I am beginning to tie together some of this misfortune and trauma to the existence of an attachment between Hefe and myself. I cannot tell you exactly what Hefe is. I wish I knew for sure. But I can tell you what it looks like, what it does, when it does it, how it sounds, and where it hides. I can't even tell you why or how it became attached to me. I was a child when this began, at only seven or eight years old. When I was around seven or eight, my dad and I went on a camping trip to Yosemite. My mom didn't join us on this trip. We'd gone on many trips before as a family, lasting around a week each time, and oftentimes at Big Sur or Yosemite. We pulled into the park having already had a small debate in the car about food and music. I was ready to call my mom because I was already homesick. Though being older now, I think I just missed my mom. She and I could hold a normal conversation. To this day, my dad and I have these debates about mundane and trivial topics. We never stay mad, if we ever even do get mad. A majority of the time, our debates are for the sake of debating. I guess that seems to be our best method of communication. Anyway, we stopped at some place my dad had to check into. We were staying in some sort of a cabin by a location of a historic rock slide. I don't remember as many details as I wish I did. 
This can be attributed to a series of concussions resulting in a TBI, or traumatic brain injury. I do remember that we walked over to an area with a phone. My dad dialed my mom and I'd begun, as many young children do, to jump around and wander and mess with things. I don't recall having wandered off too far, but I suppose I had as my dad called my name with a hint of both irritation and fear in his inflection. So I trotted back over to where he was. He handed me the phone so I could talk to my mom. As I was on the phone, I felt a searing pain on the back of my right thigh and I suddenly cried out. My dad came over and shouted at me for messing around beside the phone and causing me to cut myself. In a state of confusion, I asked my dad what he was talking about. He prepared a first aid kit from the red backpack he always had on him, something he still keeps with him to this day. He asked for the phone back. I told my mom I loved her and handed it back to my dad, who handed me the first aid kit, asking me to clean the cut on the back of my thigh. I sat down on the ground, and in the most awkward way conceivable, I lifted my right leg with my arm and searched for this alleged cut. I indeed did have a cut, though as deep as it was and long as it was, that word feels like a joke. I took out the alcohol swabs, as my dad taught me to do many times before. I proceeded to scrub the ever-living tar out of my leg while biting my lip to hold back tears, which inevitably spilled over anyways. After scrubbing for what felt like ages, I packed the cut full of neosporin like my mom always prompted me to do. She carries the stuff everywhere and uses it on everything. Acne, Neosporin. Cut, Neosporin. Cracked lips, Neosporin. Even if the dog cut their paw pad again, it's Neosporin time. By this point, my dad had finished the phone call and was now squatting in front of me. I can recall him mentioning stitches and me shaking my head like a mad person with wide eyes. My dad let out an exasperated sigh. Being queasy around blood, he whipped out a massive band-aid. He used it to pull together the sides of the gash and cover it up. This was one of those fancy watertight band-aids my dad saved for me. Because I was known to be found in creeks, mud, trees, or some other area, likely teeming with dirt, debris, and the germs my parents were so wary of. Our trip carried on afterward with very little out-of-the-ordinary activity to note. The days passed by with excitement and joy and adventures and exploring. My dad, to this day, is my favorite adventuring buddy. He and I climbed mountains and found views of waterfalls. We went hiking and went to group campfires. At one point, I made friends with a girl close to my age, staying at a cabin nearby with her grandfather. On the third to last day of our trip, my dad was exhausted, but he allowed me to explore the remnants of the rock slide behind our cabin. I had gone out there on my own, armed with a pencil and sketch pad, coated thoroughly in bug spray as mosquitoes seemed to think I'm an amazing buffet. As I wandered between the boulders and the remnants of a squished cabin, I came across a deer with red hair and limbs that looked too long and awkward for its body. It was standing beside a massive round boulder. That boulder stood at around 10 eight-year-old me's in height, and the deer beside it stood at about two. I will note here I've always been tall for a girl. Today, as an adult, I stand at six foot two, 
and back then, I would have been around 4 foot 11 to 5 foot 2, based on the lines left on the doorframe of our old house. That deer locked eyes with me, and I felt pure dread. Something about its gaze felt wrong. There was something up with its eyes. I couldn't really place it, though. I can only speculate what it was that bothered me in retrospect. You see, I believe those eyes appeared human. My dad then called, and I looked back to our cabin. When I turned toward the boulder where the deer was, it was no longer there. All that remained was my sense of dread. I took off like a bat out of heck for the sound of my dad's voice and the safety of our cabin. That was the last time I saw or felt such strange and alarming and dread-inducing activity for a few years. I pushed these events and memories away. I thought about them only when certain events began to induce the same feelings again. When I was ten, my parents found a dog at the Humane Society in our county. Her name was Bella, but I'm pretty sure she hated that name, so we called her Lady May. Lady May was eventually trained as my service dog and was my first lifeline in the adult world. The year after our family adopted and trained Lady, we went on a trip to Calaveras Big Trees Giant Sequoia Forest as a family. Before we got to our camping spot there, my dad wanted to visit Yosemite and show my mom one of the sites we had visited when we stayed there a few years back. When we stopped, I felt that dread set in again. Lady seemed to know this, and she became more clingy and protective over me than typical of her. As she was a large dog and a rather independent breed, this was comforting and also mildly alarming. When your big ol' independent dog begins clinging to and protecting your child, you should take notice. Naturally, my parents attributed this to our being in a new and unfamiliar place, while I attributed it to some far less realistic reasons. We didn't stay at Yosemite long before piling back into the car and making our way to our camping spot at Calaveras to set up camp and begin exploring. This camping trip would be memorable for a plethora of reasons, including me almost being kidnapped and being saved by my trusty best friend, Lady attempting to catch and unalive numerous squirrels throughout our vacation time. My dad also wrecked two doors of his brand new truck on a one-inch-in-diameter sequoia sapling, which apparently didn't know the definition of quit. I even found a fun junior ranger group to go with in the evening, learning about the park and its natural inhabitants. Our first day was intriguing and eventful with Lady cornering a squirrel in the first five minutes when I let her off her lead, and as I mentioned, Dad wrecked the doors of the truck backing into our campsite. While Lady was busy harassing her squirrel and Mom and Dad were addressing the damage to the truck, I saw the most gorgeous orange and yellow bird fly through our campsite, perching on a tree only a mere 20 feet away. Being a curious and mildly dumb kid, I tried to get closer and continued to follow this new and exciting creature as it flitted from tree to tree playing keep away. Soon the sound of my parents' exasperated words was lost to the sounds of the woods, the chirping of cicadas, the crunch of needles, branches beneath my tennis shoes. I realized I could no longer hear my parents at some point, and when I did, I was absolutely lost. 
In what was around 90 degree heat, I went colder than the Arctic. I began to acknowledge the dread that set in, and the panic beginning to rear its ugly and non-productive head in my mind. As I was about to sit down and wait, because what else do you do in a state of dread and panic except become overwhelmed and sit down to wait for the inevitable? Lady came crashing into view, barking and foaming at the mouth, as she often did when she ran at an all-out sprint for too long. I was so extremely happy to see her. I threw my arms around her and proceeded to bury my head in her neck while she stoically stood there panting and drooling. Lady was three at the time, and she was a beautiful mix of Rhodesian Ridgeback and Pit. She was amazingly fast and loved to run, but when she sprinted you could hardly follow her with your eyes. The telltale sign of her having been sprinting recently is foam coming out of her mouth, rolling off of her tongue. When I let go of her, she pushed past me a little bit to help me stand up. I placed a hand on her broad shoulder and braced myself while I lifted my body into a standing position. Lady boofed and turned around to walk me back to our campsite. We walked in a relative quiet. I enjoyed the sounds of her pants and the chirps of cicadas. When we got back to our site, my parents were still preoccupied, so I poured Lady a big dish of water, petting her while she sloppily drank some. This was another telltale sign of her overexerting herself. As a desert breed, Lady had rarely ever slopped up water the way she did that day. The noisiness of her drinking caused my parents to stop and notice. My mom gave me and Lady a quizzical once-over before turning back to my dad, continuing their conversation. This would not be the last strange happening on our trip but it would be the first time my parents were forced to notice something more may be going on. Later on in the trip, we went on a scenic tour of where the biggest tree had been felled. Lady stayed at the campsite with my mom, so it was only me and my dad. I remember looking into a portion of the felled tree that was twice my height and hollowed out, and I saw inside these feral-looking human eyes peering out from shadows and darkness. I sucked in my breath and shut my eyes while a shiver passed up and down my spine. My dad, doing the daddest thing ever, smacked my shoulder and said, let's keep moving, Twinkletoes. Your mom's probably missing us. I nodded furiously and we kept on moving. When we got back after the tour, which I managed to get a boatload of pictures of, Lady trotted up to me, sniffing me obsessively, before plopping down beside me and cocking her head to one side. That same day, I took Lady for a short walk a little later on, bumping into a park ranger who proceeded to ask why I was out alone at a young age. She wasn't amused by my overly confident answers. She walked me back to our campsite. She did seem impressed at my being ballsy enough to go out by myself while the sun was setting and invited me to come to the Junior Rangers group each evening for the rest of the week. Naturally, Lady went with me each time, and it was at this group that I learned the name of the bird I saw, which I'm convinced led me into the woods to be kidnapped somewhere. It was a western tanager. The remainder of the week went by in a blur. Lady stayed at my side for almost every second of the remainder of the trip. Little else happened for a few more years to come. My family moved out of California the year I was to turn 14. 
At 13, I very quickly became a problem child, and my mom missed her home in the panhandle of Idaho. As we began the 11-day drive from our little town on the coast of California to our new home in Kootenai County, we stopped to reminisce some of our trips and good memories. My parents tried to take the time to show me that they wanted a brighter future for me and create a promise of new adventures and new places to explore. At the time, my mind was clouded by angst and grief for what I was leaving behind because it was all I'd ever known. We stopped briefly at Yosemite and we drove through Calaveras. We stopped nearby in Stockton for a night, which turned into a few nights due to the theft of our catalytic converter before driving on to our next stop in Oregon. During our time reminiscing, I became overshadowed with dread on top of the existing angst and grief. These emotions stayed tangled inside of me for months, maybe even years after moving. The darkness and dread would be present in me throughout many events of trauma and suffering. It would be so loud and overbearing, it would drown out logic and reason and my ability to recover. The noise and bluntness of these raw emotions drowned out my ability to function following a series of traumatic assaults when I was 16 and the bullying I was subjected to at 17. It would overshadow my ability to seek help when my first real friend betrayed me in the worst way and when a boy began to obsess and stalk me at 18. But this dread overrode all of that. It was more urgent than the physical pain or human-inflicted fear and trauma making it impossible to feel and heal enough. I mean, you have to feel things to heal. I know this adage to be my truth, and I try to practice it every day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. A year or so ago, Sometime after the start of COVID, I took a job at a large chain company run elderly care facility. I intentionally chose the NOC shift to avoid unnecessary drama and interaction with other people. I worked with one other person during the shift and that would either be my coworker, C or M. On most nights, I worked with coworker C. She was older and not nearly as green as most of the other employees of the facility. She trained me and she had my back as much as possible during my short time there. Within the first week of my being on NOC shift with C, we endured quite a bit. Doors flying open at us and slamming shut, usually on me. Footsteps pacing up and down the halls, running noises in one of the stairwells, crawling or scuttering sounds in the vents, and at one point I got locked in one of the laundry rooms while the room was around 90 degrees, C had heard voices sometimes, behind doors that had just opened or shut, or around the corner when she could hear pacing. She swore up and down that it had to be me, as it sounded like my voice. 
but I was rarely ever near at the time she heard it. And one time I came out of the stairwell, right after she'd heard it coming from a resident's room, so it couldn't have been me. C was furious that someone or something was harassing us at work. I took a night off to see my then-significant other at the time, and when I came back, C asked me if the building felt different. For the first time, I could acknowledge that I felt no dread somewhere. I felt safe. But this safety would be short-lived as I moved into a new facility and new troubles soon after. My first marriage came and went, ending with him hitting me with his car, and it was intentional. During the first two weeks of my first marriage, abuse began to manifest. On weekends, we would go to bonfires out in Hayden Creek. It was on one of these nights when he first put his hands on me, and we saw what I believe was the same entity from every other incident, which now looked like an odd elk. We were all piled in his cousin's truck, bumping down a dirt back road, when two elk took off across the road in front of us. The second of the two elk stopped and locked eyes with us. It had an unnatural reddish hue to its hair, and its legs looked abhorrently long. Seconds ticked by before it turned and took off up the hillside, and we continued on around the bend. Only two short months after this, my first marriage would end on a sour note. I took a job at another large corporation-run elderly care facility, where I underwent being bullied, discriminated against, and severely overworked for more than half a year. I loathed being in that building alone at night, and often worked obsessively, cleaning the place from top to bottom to avoid paying any attention to the dread or terror that would set in at night. I was often in this facility for 16-hour shifts on my own, and this went on for months, with only one or two days off in total. I left this facility to go to a smaller one nearby during my second marriage. My second marriage would end in a myriad of gaslighting and refusals to work on alcoholism. The divorce is still being processed as I'm typing this out. I'm still at this smaller facility. Hefe, as I've come to call him, seems to enjoy it here, and the torment has really begun to pick up. I work the NOC shift here, which runs from 2230 to 0700. Our facility is on a rotation of four days on and two days off, but I pick up shifts to work every day with a day off every few weeks. Sometimes I come in early or work the occasional double. The house I work in has a minimum of two staff at all times, even at night. I find this to be a mild comfort, as I also find comfort in my service dog in training refusing to leave my side during the shift. My service dog in training, while very young, does a fantastic job as my medical alert and has come a very far away in a short time regarding behavior and advanced task training. My service dog in training is a six-month-old German Shepherd named Houdini, and she's amazing. I also want to unequivocally state that Houdini doesn't have a mean bone in her body and until these incidents, I'd never seen any sign of protection or aggression come out of my little friend. She's actually trained against it, as most service animals are. Within my first week at the facility, I learned that the lights need to stay on at night. When they don't, doors open and shut in the darkness, and we can hear pacing and running up and down the halls. Today, the only lights that get turned off are in the activity room and the TV rooms, and the door to the activity room gets pulled shut. 
During my second week at this facility, another staff member mentioned feeling a sense of dread. It was as if they were being stalked when the lights were off in the building. The elevator is often heard going to the basement and opening before coming back up to the main and second stories and opening. This happens when no one is on it, with the exception of it happening one time when I happened to be on it myself. I'd gotten on the elevator at the start of my third week, and the button on the keypad, which unlocks the elevator's ability to go to the basement, turned green. The door shut, and before I knew it, they were opening to the complete darkness of the facility basement. I stifled a scream with my hand, and Houdini started to bark and growl. I hit the second story button with inhuman speed over and over until the doors shut at last. The last thing I saw was green eyes looking at me from the shadows. A few nights later, a co-worker of mine, P, took it upon herself to cleanse the building. This seemed to really tee off Hefe. Another of my co-workers, A, felt a burning pain as this was happening, and while we walked past the upstairs television room, when she lifted her shirt, I saw ugly red lines that looked as if someone tried to claw at her through her uniform. A was terrified, of course, and refused to go anywhere upstairs by herself from then on. An hour after the incident, the protection charm I wore around my neck was ripped off while I pulled the door to the activities room shut. It was tossed over the second-story balcony, the chain breaking cleanly as if someone had grabbed it and pulled it with force. I was also left with a red line on the left side of my neck for nearly a week. For a few days after that, it seemed calm, but the heavy dread still hung stagnant in the air. My fifth week started with a literal bang, a sudden sound while the lights were off. When that happened, the door to the activities room shut, and the attic entrance in that room opened up. After hearing the massive crash of the ladder sliding down and hitting the floor, I heard running in the attic, then what sounded eerily similar to my coworker P's voice coming from the entrance to the attic, saying, You have to see this. You have to come up here. I knew it couldn't possibly be P. She had driven home over an hour ago, and the facility doors are locked after 2300, meaning she would have had to call me to get back in, and the inflection and tone were all wrong. The voice sounded monotonous and robotic, very unlike P's bubbly up-and-down tones. I shuddered as I pushed the door open. I was holding on to my protection charm with my left hand, while I groped for the switch to the activity room light with my right hand. I found the light, and I flicked it on to reveal the ladder down and the attic open, just as I had heard. This sight came with the sound of my, at the time, husband's voice. Babe, come here. I want to see you. I also knew this was not my husband, as it sounded wrong as well, like he'd been talking through a radio or phone. It sounded broken and out of context for the situation. I stepped forward to push the ladder up, and in the darkness, I saw two green eyes and a slight sheen of red surrounding them in the shape of an inhumanly tall biped. Claws became visible as a hand reached down and grasped the edge of the opening to the attic. I noped the heck out of there at a speed likely unknown to man, 
only to be forced to return for my service dog in training who was standing at the end of the ladder with her hackles raised, growling like a rabid beast ready to attack. As I grasped Houdini's collar and pulled her back, I pushed up the ladder with as much force as I could and hooked the back of the attic drop-down hatch with my right foot before kicking it up to my hand and slamming that darned thing shut with a window-shaking bang. Following this display, I received about 12 calls from residents who were concerned the building was going to fall down. My partner, Kay, managed to sleep through the entire ordeal. To this day, she can sleep through almost anything, and despite it being a breach of policy, often does just that. I'm on my 15th week at this facility. The attic has opened three times since then, and I've suffered several unexplained invisible attacks, leaving me with cuts on my hands, red marks on my ankles and wrists. In the most recent attack, I was grabbed by the ankles, dragged backwards into the dark activities room, after hearing the door swing open while waiting to get onto the elevator. Naturally, my dog turned into a rabid little heathen, and I managed to crawl away and call her to me. I opted to take the stairs for the rest of the night. Most recently, two nights before Thanksgiving, P worked a double shift, putting her on NOC as my partner. I'm big on cleaning and resident care instead of sitting and scrolling through my phone or screwing around on the company computer. We'd been upstairs polishing the resident display cases, wiping down all the floorboards, when I stopped in front of the activities room door. The lights were off, and the door was locked this time. But I got a really good look at a pair of green eyes looking down at me from a form much taller than mine, covered in rusty red hair. The arms were freakishly long, ending in hands that ended in claws that just barely dragged on the ground. The legs were bent backward like Houdini's back legs, and ended in a similar set of claws that were lightly digging into the ugly brown carpet. I looked up from its clawed feet to see its head framed with horns similar to those of a ram's, but in a sickening shade of bloody red. Its green eyes were fixed on me with hatred and hunger. Droll began to lazily drip from the bubbling foam of the massive biped's mouth. With a thud that shook the glass of the door and caught the attention of P, it dropped onto all fours, opening its foaming mouth and revealing the rest of its only previously previewed razor-sharp canine-like teeth, a long reptilian tongue unfurled from the masses of drool and teeth. It licked the door where my face was, leaving trails of heat from its breath and saliva. Houdini, already bristling, began to let out hateful and guttural growls, I picked her up and proceeded to walk right the heck away. I told P we would not be going near the activities room until dawn broke or hell froze over. She nodded and grabbed the rest of our cleaning supplies to move on to the next wing. Since this incident, I've had two days off due to being prolifically sick. I still managed to work a double on Thanksgiving, which happened to be uneventful to my delight. I'm sure when I get back tonight, it will not be so quiet. Hefe will be hungry. Hefe follows and I don't think he will stop until I'm dead and gone. Hefe is my own personal demon, a variety of which I'm not entirely sure of. 
A and P both believe he's a skinwalker who has been hunting me since I was a child. If that's true, how do I get rid of it? And why would it follow me all this time? I'm just me. A whole lot of mediocrity that is stitched together with trauma, exasperation, and misplaced care for other people. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, you can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails, and be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.